Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a political convention that began 90 years ago. On a warm evening in July 1933... President Franklin D. Roosevelt sat down for one of his fireside chats, using the medium of radio to reassure America about the progress he'd made in his first hundred days in office. My friends, I want to talk for a few minutes with the people of the United States about what has been done in the last few days. And America loved it. I heard the president speak over the radio. It gave me such a thrill. For Roosevelt, speed was of the essence. President-elect Roosevelt says, In my judgment, we are in the midst of an emergency at least equal to that of war. Roosevelt had come to power in the Great Depression. That's why those first hundred days were so important. He had to get more done than most presidents would in a full term. The White House is the center of a Washington whirlwind as the 100 days begin. Members of the administration rush from FDR's office to the Capitol building and back again. And that's how it began. Since then, every president and prime minister has been judged on those crucial first 100 days. Assuming they make it that far. I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. So how have Rishi Sunak's first hundred days gone? This government will have integrity. Trust is earned. And I will earn yours. Dominic Robb denies any bullying charges, but there are now more than 24. Rishi Sunak has been fined by police for not wearing a seatbelt. Nadeem Zahawi's been fired after an investigation said he'd broken the rules for ministers. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Rishi Sunak, the first 100 days... I'm Stephen Swinford. I'm the political editor at The Times. And Stephen, what have the last few weeks been like as political editor? I would say they've been hectic, but actually they're fairly standard now. We've just seen Nadeem Zahawi sacked. While obviously there's a level of adrenaline that comes with a story like that, actually there have been so many ministers that have been sacked now that it's becoming quite a familiar pattern. Take us back to last week, to a point before Nadim Zahawi had been sacked, to a particular away day at Chequers at the Prime Minister's country house in, in Buckinghamshire, where Rishi Sunak had gathered with his cabinet. Who was there and what, what were they there for? 
I'm going to take you to the evening of last Thursday and we're going to go into the Checkers dining room, which is actually not that grand a room, apparently. Rishi Sunak and the whole cabinet are gathered there and they've had a long day. They've done a mammoth session on the Tories' fortunes ahead of the next election. And then that evening, Rishi Sunak decided that he needed to lighten the mood. So he handed over to Lord Haig of Richmond. So William Haig, the former Tory leader, and he's a political mentor to Rishi Sunak. So Haig did what Haig does very well. He regaled the cabinet with stories from when he was a young junior minister and the party was damaged by sleaze. It was behind in the polls and it was being trounced by Liberal Democrats and by-election. And he said, but this was not the lead up to 1997. It wasn't the lead up to Tony Blair's landslide election victory, he told them. This was 1990 and John Major was about to go on and turn the party's fortunes around and win the general election in 1992. The Conservatives have won a fourth consecutive term in office. John Major achieved a clear, though reduced majority of 21 seats. So Haig's message was, all is not yet lost, but it's up to you. That is, in a nutshell, what Rishi Sunak is pinning his hopes on, that this is a repeat of 1992, not 1995, that we are two years out from a potential Tory election victory, as opposed to two years out from one of the most devastating political landslides in history. Just tell us what happened the next day. I mean, Dominic Cummings, a man who'd been at the centre of government not that long ago, responded. He he uh, never short of things to say, and he said that if number 10 spads actually believe it's like 1992, then they're in even bigger trouble than they think they are. And opinion varies in the Conservative Party. I talked to some ministers and they despair. They think that this is just a time of managed decline, that they're going to lose the next election, come what may, and it's just about trying to make that election defeat salvageable afterwards so that the Tories can come back from opposition or even a hung parliament. Others say, no, there is a very clear way here and a way through it. And Isaac Levido, who's the uh, Australian uh, election guru who they're paying to run their election strategy for the next campaign, gave a speech at this cabinet away day. And he talked about this narrow path to victory. And he said that essentially it's going to rely on immense discipline. You're all going to have to stay on message. You're all going to have to repeat the PM's mantra about his five priorities. And we're going to have to stop getting distracted. Now, the irony of that is that two people sitting around that cabinet table were fighting and are fighting for their futures. One of them was Nadim Zahawi, the chairman of the Conservative Party, who two days later was sacked by um, Rishi Sunak. And then the other is Dominic Raab, who's currently under investigation over allegations of bullying. So for all the talk of discipline and all the talk talk of sticking to the core priorities, this is a government that keeps getting buffeted by events. And keeping it on course as we get closer to the next election is going to get harder and harder and harder. And Stephen, it has now been 100 days of, of this prime minister. He's, he's had time to sort of bed in. Journalists often look at, look at 100 days as sort of a marker of how a prime minister is doing. Why is that? 100 days is useful because it is the yardstick politicians set themselves and they've historically set it and it's seen as a way of keeping the rhythm, setting the tone and showing that things are getting done. And in Rishi Sunak's case, that first 100 days is slightly different because what he's trying to do is de-dramatise politics. So rather than change lots of things immediately, Rishi Sunak is trying to calm it all down. It's a different context, but politicians love it as a device and it's not unuseful for us to talk about it now. 
he made a number of pledges on the steps of Downing Street which were intended to show a change of direction. So one of his key pledges, which we'll come to shortly, was about leading with integrity. This government will have integrity, professionalism and accountability at every level. And essentially he was saying that we won't be marred by the sleaze scandals of the past. I fully appreciate how hard things are. And I understand too that I have work to do to restore trust after all that has happened. Unfortunately, that's not entirely in his control because many of the people that he's appointed to senior positions in government are indeed mired in these problems that are, are historic. But he also made five promises that he thinks can win him the next election. They are halving inflation, growing the economy, getting debt falling, cutting waiting lists and stopping small boats. We'll get on to those five pledges in just a moment. Before we do, you know, you mentioned one of the things that he made a lot of in his speech, and that was integrity, a return of ethics. Talk us through how that's gone. I'm going to be really frank. It's been a very rocky road, so it didn't start brilliantly. Yesterday, the Prime Minister stood on the steps of Downing Street and promised integrity, professionalism and accountability. And yet he almost immediately made a decision that effectively compromised that integrity. He restored Suella Braverman to the role of Home Secretary. But then, with his first act, he appointed a Home Secretary who was sacked by his predecessor a week ago. Now, she had been sacked by his predecessor, Liz Truss, for leaking a written ministerial statement to a colleague about the government's migration policy. And this was seen as a kind of security breach, and it was seen as damaging enough for Braverman no longer to be fit to be Home Secretary. But her support was pivotal in getting Rishi Sunak the job as Prime Minister. And so Rishi Sunak, quite frankly, owed her. The Home Secretary made an error of judgment, but she recognised that and she accepted her mistake. And that's why I was delighted to welcome back into a united cabinet that brings experience. But she wasn't the only one. I mean, it seems to have become a bit of a trend. Take us to the next scandal, really, that Rishi Sunak faced. I suppose that's Gavin Williamson. Remind us what happened there. Gavin Williamson, the former Defence Secretary, came with his own baggage and he basically faced a succession of allegations of bullying. He famously had a tarantula on his desk and, and seemed to revel in the role of Chief Whip in a kind of pantomime way. But some people said that it went beyond the pale and that the way he acted was effectively a form of kind of intimidation. Um, and then there were some further revelations about an official that worked for him when he was at the Ministry of Defence. This official alleged direct bullying and the wealth of allegations built up day by day by day. Now, again, Rishi Sunak was loyal to Gavin Williamson and he didn't sack him. And in the end, it took all these revelations building up and then Gavin Williamson proffered his resignation. He denied the bullying claims but said that he would resign as they become a distraction. Which Rishi Sunak reluctantly accepted. That would have been quite a lot of scandals for a for 100 days, but then we have yet another. Nadim Zahawi, just remind us of where Rishi Sunak, rather than Nadim Zahawi, where Rishi Sunak went wrong? Arguably, Rishi Sunak went wrong in appointing Nadim Zahawi in the first place. So in October last year, he appoints Nadim Zahawi to the role of Conservative Party chairman. Now, it had been published that he was under investigation by HMRC, Questions had been asked about Nadim Zahawi's tax affairs for months. 
But Rishi Sunak doesn't appear to have been aware of that. And that displays a remarkable lack of curiosity about such a sensitive topic that a guy that was the former chancellor, the man in charge of public finances, was effectively being investigated by the very body that he was overseeing, HMRC, and indeed reached a settlement and paid a penalty for tax avoidance. It's reported that Mr Zahawi paid a 30% penalty on top of £3.7 million in capital gains tax. So questions weren't asked, and you could blame the civil servants for that, you could say there wasn't sufficient vetting, but given that it was in the public domain, it seems very odd that he made that appointment at that point in time. While all of this is happening, around the cabinet table, there's yet another minister with a potential scandal hanging over them, Dominic Raab. So Dominic Raab has been under investigation since, I think, November of last year now by Adam Tolley, who's an eminent employment barrister, and he is essentially facing allegations of bullying. Another week, another allegation. In a state of anger, Raab allegedly threw salad and tomatoes across a meeting room in June. A succession of people that worked in his private office have said that he created an atmosphere of fear. They've said that people were left in tears. There are suggestions that as many as 24 civil servants have made complaints. According to the Mirror, Raab got the nickname The Incinerator as he burns through staff. Now, we're not sure when this investigation is going to conclude, but it now presents Rishi Sunak with a difficult decision ahead of him because the precedent he has set in sacking Nadeem Zahawi, that sets a a bar that means that if there is any impropriety involving Dominic Raab, the logic is he's got to sack him. And Dominic Raab is in a far more senior position than Nadeem Zahawi. He is the Deputy Prime Minister, he is the Justice Secretary, and he's also a very close ally of Rishi Sunak. It's going to be a real test when that report comes back because if there is evidence of impropriety and poor behaviour by Dominic Raab, he strongly refutes all these claims. But if there is evidence, then Rishi Sunak is going to have a very difficult decision to make. Altogether, you know, looking at these scandals as a whole, what do they tell us about Rishi Sunak's political judgment? The people that I'm talking to suggest there's an element of greenness to it, but they believe it may be improving some of the people I'm talking to, but others have already, as I said earlier, given up. They've given up hope that the Tories can win the next election. The problem he's got is time is finite. We're getting closer and closer to the next election. So every day that he's battling a scandal is a day he's not talking about his priorities. I think the lesson that he's going to have to learn from this, if he's to get through it all, is that he has to move faster and has to take a more kind of instinctive judgment approach to politics rather than delaying and losing time because he can't afford to lose time. Coming up, away from the scandals, how is Rishi Sunak doing on policy? That's after... A quick word from a colleague. I'm Sean O'Neill and I'm a former crime editor, chief reporter and now a senior writer at The Times. I've been at the paper for 18 years and currently have the freedom to write news investigations, magazine features and comment pieces. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Stephen, let's get back to those five pledges that Rishi Sunak made. So I want to make five promises to you today. Five pledges. They were to halve inflation, raise growth, cut debt and waiting lists, and also to deal with the issue of the small boats. He's had three months now. I know that's not a huge amount of time on such big issues, but how is he doing? So if we just go through the five pledges in turn, his first pledge... We will halve inflation this year. Sounds like a, a very kind of sexy headline, halve inflation. Inflation ran at 10.5%. These are the latest inflation figures from the Office for National Statistics. Still a staggeringly high figure. Now, that's something that's actually slightly out of his control. And it's also something that, to a degree, is arbitrary. Because inflation is measured year on year. And if you remember that this period last year, we're just getting to the invasion of Ukraine Mm. by Russia, which led to a surge in energy prices soaring across the world. So by the time we get to February, March, April, it will be compared to the energy crisis of the year before. So inevitably, inflation will be falling to a degree. And it looks viable, that pledge to halve inflation. And that should also help with cutting debt. We will make sure our national debt is falling so that we can secure the future. So the government is enacting a load of policies that will limit inflation, but inflation is significantly dictated by global factors. Raising growth is tricky. We will grow the economy, creating better paid jobs and opportunity right across the country. It's not clear how you do that. Again, the overall economic environment is improving, but they've got big issues like the kind of productivity puzzle. Why is Britain so relatively unproductive? Why is growth so stagnant? How do you get 3 million over 50s off the golf course, as Jeremy Hunt puts it, and back into work? They're big, difficult questions. And then the other pledges, one was an NHS pledge to cut waiting lists. NHS waiting lists will fall and people will get the care they need more quickly. Well, they're not saying which waiting lists, so it's quite a broad one. It looks like they'll be able to kind of set the tone on that themselves by saying, well, we've cut the number of people waiting two years down. Well, okay, what about the imminent waiting list for people in A&Es? So they can, to a degree, set their own metrics for that. And then the last pledge is actually the most difficult. He said, bluntly, I'm going to stop small boats. Making sure that if you come to this country illegally, you are detained and swiftly removed. Now, so far, 
the government has not succeeded in getting its Rwanda policy on the road, so no migrants going to Rwanda because of legal action. It's planning some legislation which will effectively detain and then remove from the country anyone that comes in a small boat. It'll be very contentious. That's coming in February. So when you've got a generic pledge to stop small boats, will voters understand if actually you haven't stopped small boats? That's a risk area for him because it looks almost impossible to get them down to zero, but that is nonetheless what the slogan says. Those are the people's priorities. They are your government's priorities, and we will either have achieved them or not. No tricks, no ambiguity. We're either delivering for you or we're not. Away from those five pledges, his time in office so far will be thought of, certainly you know, by people looking at the headlines, as, as a time of national strikes. How is he doing on combating those? I think he's on very, very difficult ground. So the government has announced some legislation which will bring in something called minimum service levels so that when unions go on strike, they'll have to leave you know, a sufficient number of people working for those services to keep operating. But that's not going to stop the strikes. And also the legislation is quite a long way off and it will get blocked in the law. So we come back to this issue of the economy and pay. And he and the government is taking a very hard position, which is that if we give big pay rises in line with inflation, we're going to get a wage price spiral. This kind of vortex where we pay people more, their inflation continues to rise and it goes round and round and we will feed inflation. But if you are a nurse and you're arguing, I've seen years of pay cuts, and actually there's huge public support for nurses and several of the other groups of striking workers, then you're, you're going to be very unhappy with that. And you're also not going to stop striking. So at the moment, it doesn't feel like there is any imminent end to these strikes in sight. And Stephen, stepping back, you know, whether it's the, the policy issues that he, he's facing or whether he, it's how he's dealt with the scandals that have sort of erupted around him, how would you describe Rishi Sunak's style of government? You know, like under Tony Blair, we had sofa government. Under David Cameron, you had a sense that, you know, he was quite chilled and had time to, time to play games on his phone. What's, what's Rishi Sunak's attitude towards being prime minister? How has he taken on the role? I think there's a high degree of micromanagement. So I've reported on a lot of prime ministers now. And the one thing that really surprised me was when people around Rishi Sunak told me that he was getting in the weeds of different policy areas. Let's take small boats, for example. He essentially had a group of Home Office officials working directly to him. He read absolutely everything. He interrogated the policies. And I've not really seen that with any prime minister in recent, maybe Gordon Brown, you go back to him, he operated in a similar way, but he's across the micro details of policy and often knows as much, if not more, than the Secretary of State themselves. And you could argue that's not what prime ministers should do. They should be kind of looking at the broader picture, putting their heads above it. But I think he's also taking a a calculated risk here. He thinks, I am the best person to solve this. I back myself and I'm going to put my all into this. And it also means that he owns it. He owns the Mm. issue of small boats now. So if it's not dealt with, that's directly on him. He owns the issue of the NHS. So it's on him. And that is different to what we've seen before. Boris Johnson certainly didn't run his government that way. There was a lot of delegation. There was a suggestion repeatedly he wasn't across the detail himself. That's not the case with Rishi Sunak. And it'd be really interesting to see how that pans out. Does it almost show that he doesn't necessarily have confidence in the cabinet that he's appointed to do those jobs? I'm not sure it's a question of confidence in the rest of his cabinet. It's more 
a belief that he's not just leading, he's leading from the front. I mean, the guy is apparently a total workaholic. He gets up in the small hours, he has very little sleep, and he works relentlessly from the moment he's up, apart from brief stints on his Peloton bike and where he tries to get his exercise in the early hours of the morning. Which apparently he was exactly the same in the Treasury. People, when he was in the Treasury, the Chancellor said, this is completely unsustainable. You can't run the Treasury this way. You're going to run yourself down and run everyone around you down. He didn't, and the Treasury continued. So it's his style of doing it. And Stephen, looking ahead, it's the undecided voters who will be key at the next election. And that's, you know, something that we, we hear Isaac Levido, the great election guru inside Number 10, has talked about. Just explain how that's looking for Rishi Sunak at the moment. So he suggests that about a fifth of the electorate is undecided about how they'll vote. And his point is, look, when you see these polls at the moment in which Labour is 20 points ahead, that is not a signal of voting intention. This is something that reflects people's current views of the political situation. It doesn't reflect how they're going to vote in two years' time. So the argument is that you can win round these undecided voters or a big tranche of them, and that is the way through. But if I was looking at the Conservatives' poll numbers, I would be alarmed on several fronts. And when Rishi Sunak came into power, he was a remarkably popular politician. And they have something called a net favourability rating. And when he became prime minister, he was on minus nine. It's now minus 29. But he's still much more popular than the Conservative Party. The Tories are currently on minus 45. Wow. Now, why does that matter? Well, let me give you the alternative. Starmer is on minus eight compared to minus 29 for Rishi Sunak, remember? And Labour is on minus seven compared to minus 45 for the Tories. And that's a real problem. The question I'm getting asked by cabinet ministers and ministers is, does he have what it takes? Can he knock it up a gear, go from his reputation for competence and, and managing the government and the economy to winning hearts and minds? And that's the unanswered question at the moment. If you were a betting man, as things stand now, do you think Rishi Sunak would still be Prime Minister after the next election? I, I Look, I gave up for doing bets on politics years ago. It's far <laughs> too... I'm going to cop out. It's far too unpredictable. So many extraordinary, unexpected things have happened in British politics in the time I've been covering it that I would be a fool to make any predictions. All I can tell you is that there's two years to go and it's going to be quite something to watch. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Mandreen Rana, and my guest, Stephen Swinford, political editor at The Times. You can find all of Stephen's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. The producer today was Olivia Case. The executive producers were Kate Ford and James Shield, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.